Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50% to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. This episode is brought to you by the Center for Addiction and Mental Health here in Toronto. Cutting-edge, state-of-the-art, compassionate facility. Right now, it is Mental Health Awareness Week. This is the time when they need you most. This is the time when you can make a real difference when it comes to doing something about the mental health crisis and the devastating opioid epidemic, the overdose epidemic that we're currently experiencing, losing 20 people every day. They need your help. Donate at camh.ca slash CanadaLand to help CAMH treat addiction and build hope. This episode of Canada Land is brought to you by Douglas, a mattress that is trusted by more than 200,000 Canadians from coast to coast to coast. It's a great mattress at a very reasonable price point. Comes with a 20-year warranty and a great deal for our listeners. Douglas is giving you a free sleep bundle with each mattress purchase. Get the sheets, pillows, mattress, and pillow protectors free with your Douglas purchase today. Visit douglas.ca slash CanadaLand to claim this offer. That is douglas.ca slash CanadaLand. Dear Jesse, I've become a big fan of your reporting on CanadaLand over the last two years. But why, I must ask... Do you insist on thinking of people who share views and sentiments with the trucker convoys as, quote, a minority of the stupid? I realize that you have much mail coming your way, but I wonder if you'll indulge me in taking the time to hear why I, a highly educated, lifelong NDPer, feminist, ally to as many as I can, am feeling a lot of hope and gratitude about these protests. Prior to this pandemic, I knew isolation. I knew the pain of growing up with no village, no one on my side. I knew of being discounted and disrespected by medical people. And I knew the importance of building a community. When 2020 arrived, suddenly the government had declared it could tell everyone who they could see and when and how, if anyone at all. It is this heavy-handedness, these blunt, suffocating rules that are without nuance or compassion, this locking everyone away from each other that broke my heart all over again as I was left alone and isolated and my kids left without the community that I had hoped would support them and mitigate the burden of having a mom like me. In the last two weeks, my heart has been uplifted as I see these people who let me know the Canada I love is still alive. To me, these truckers and protesters represent a Canada where we believe in each other, where we don't believe everyone else is an idiot, incapable of making reasonable choices. Perhaps you don't see it that way. There are many people who don't. I think how people see it depends a lot on their socioeconomic status and how much they trust in government and doctors. People like me will always question authority and rules. But we also believe in critical thinking and living by principles, and we can make many good and caring decisions with others in mind. That is what is being advocated for. Not no masks ever, not no vaccines ever, not wild parties whenever, but the right to develop, utilize, and balance our compassion for others along with our personal needs. 
This is why I believe that the things the truckers and protesters are standing up for are not hate-filled and reckless. They are not stupid people. They are Canadians. Neighbors, friends, family. This is why I love the truckers. If you've read this far, I'm grateful. And if my words have made any sense to you, I'm glad. Sincerely, M. So I've been getting a lot of that recently, in my inbox, in my DMs. The police crackdown in Ottawa has not stopped the flow of messages into my inbox. For every one person who got arrested, there are thousands more who support the Freedom Convoy. And some of them are listening right now, and some of them have been writing to me. They've been writing to say that I've got them all wrong, that everyone is getting them wrong, that the gulf between who these people are and how they're being represented is vast. What they tell me is that both the media and their prime minister, that everybody keeps yelling about who they are and what they believe and what they're really about without even asking them. So that's what I've been urged to do. That's what they're asking me to do. Just talk to us. Sounds like a reasonable ask. I mean, that's what we do here. We, We talk to people. But talking to these people, these people, just talking to them has become really loaded. Yes, there's this worry about spreading misinformation, uh, a worry about platforming conspiracies, all of that stuff. But more worrisome, it's gotten to the point where a lot of people don't want us to even talk to them because when you talk to somebody, it can become impossible to deny that they are humans. And a lot of people do not want supporters of this protest to be humanized. Well... Maybe there is a point where we have split off so far from one another that to even have a conversation would be to lend aid to the enemy. But I don't think that we're at that point yet. I think it's still okay to have these conversations. So today we're going to have some. My colleagues and I have spent the week reaching out to supporters of this protest and seeing who would speak with us. I want to be clear here. We did not go out looking for the reasonable supporters to humanize, nor did we go out looking for the crazy supporters. We reached out to those people who had emailed me. And as it turned out, many of those people with emails just like that one you heard, they wouldn't come on this show. They are afraid of the repercussions of being publicly tied to this movement. One of them did speak with me. And my colleagues, well, they sent emails to dozens of people whose names they found in the leak of convoy supporters that was published when the Give, Send, Go crowdfunding platform was hacked. And the first three people who agreed to speak with us on this show, those are the three supporters that we spoke to. And then what you're going to hear today on this episode are me and my colleagues in conversation with each other and in conversation with supporters of this protest. We're going to offer you some portraits of a few people who decided to support this movement. This is not a scientific survey. We did not do a poll. I do not know if these three people are representative of everybody else who supports this movement. And there are tens of thousands of Canadians who do. But you got to start somewhere. Wait for it. This episode is brought to you by Matt Obrigowicz, Laura Avellino, Anson Chapel, Lee Di Monty, Liam Mitchell, Sean Fitzpatrick, Kaylin Fantasia, and Raphael. Hey, I'm Raph, a web developer based in Vancouver. And I support Canada Land because the stories that Canada Land tells are important. Stories like Thunder Bay and all the Canada Land common series. I'm not going to rag on Jesse or his hot takes because, well, they get enough attention. Instead, I want to say how much I appreciate the work that Fatima Syed, Archie Mann, and all the rest of the Canada Land crew put into creating podcasts that keep me informed, curious, and entertained. Thanks for what you do. Sharice, you're here with me in our Toronto studio. Sarah, uh, you're joining us over Zoom from Winnipeg. Hi to you both. Hi, Jesse. Hi, Jesse. 
So each of us had a conversation with a convoy supporter. Sharice, talk to me about your conversation. Right. So I talked to a woman named Jackie Hunt. Uh, my name is Jackie Hunt. I'm from Kitchener and uh, married with some stepchildren. And she gave $700 to the convoy. $700. $700, which is like a fair amount. She also mentioned that she would be willing to give more. And in fact, last Sunday, she said that she traveled up to Ottawa with her husband to see for herself what was going on. When we went Sunday morning, my husband and I, they were singing hymns on the loudspeaker. There were free pancakes and uh, sausage breakfast being served to people. There were little kids. They had a tent up for kids so that they have activities to do. They were giving out free coloring books and things like that. There were signs up definitely saying, you know, we want our freedoms back, you know, free choice, that sort of thing up. There were police officers walking around. No one was giving them any grief and they weren't giving anyone else any grief. There's a lot of media being generated by people that protest being like, they call us all these names. Look at this fun, wholesome party. I would say the big reason why she was attracted to this in the first place is because she was upset about the mandates. I believe in what they were fighting for, which is freedom from mandates. So what has transpired in the last two years, which is basically emergency orders, lockdown, masks, vaccines, restrictions on restaurants, is in my opinion an overreach. Especially when, if you want to roll out a vaccine and someone wants to get it, that's perfectly fine. But if someone doesn't, they shouldn't have to lose their job because they don't want to get a vaccine. She isn't vaccinated. So what it was for her was just sort of built up a frustration of being told what to do and her feeling that there wasn't a whole lot of evidence as to why she was being told that. Okay, so you're some stranger who got her name off of a leaked list of donors that uh, she probably never anticipated was going to go public. And you're a member of the media. Did you sense that she was, like, tentative or leery of you? Yeah, yeah. Immediately when we talked, she was quite stilted, a little bit nervous. To be honest, I was surprised that she wanted to talk to us because a lot of her opinions and her thoughts were definitely not mainstream. What do you mean? So, you know, she is against the vaccine. She questions a lot of the science behind the vaccine. I think personally, that the statistics that they've put out are garbage because they can obviously be manipulated. Me personally, I have a problem with the numbers that they're saying. In the work that I do, I have hundreds of clients. I have a large family, both sides, uh, friends, neighbors. I don't know a single person that's died of COVID. How long did it take before it went into that direction? A few minutes. And where is she getting this stuff from? I mean, I've never been someone to follow the news, to be honest, just because I don't know, 20 years ago, I got sick of every time you turned it on, it was this person was murdered and that person was robbed. And I was just like, well, this is depressing. Why do I want to listen to this all the time? You know, I just follow Rebel News, obviously, the Epic Times we get as well. And I think that's all for like official news. Is there like a reason why you prefer Rebel and the Epoch Times versus like some of the other news outlets? I feel like they're all kind of negative. (laughs) Negative? No, I feel like they're honest. I think they actually put out the reality of what's going on. So I think they tell you things that mainstream, you know, wants to keep hidden or doesn't want to elaborate on. I mean, CTV came out right at the beginning of the pandemic and the heading said 51-year-old, a man's widow is telling everyone stay home. And then when I read the article, It was talking about how he died from COVID. And so the the shocking thing was, oh, you could be 50 and die from COVID. So when I read the article, it said that other than having chronic leukemia, he was healthy. So to me, that was completely misleading, right? Why not say man with cancer dies of COVID instead of how they worded it, right? It's distasteful to me with how they present news to sway people. I think the intention is that they just read the heading, right? And then the fear spreads. I did find the story. And I mean, she was right about how it was described. Keeping in mind, of course, I think any any death from COVID is a concern. But I think she does have a point in which the narrative was more complex than what the headline said. 
people just need one story that looks like a smoking gun piece of evidence that the media is is like they're trying to scare you about COVID. They're lying to you, not like making mistakes. They're lying to you, and then they're gone. Not just CTV. They don't trust anything that looks like a major network news, and they're going to find something else. And she found the rebel. Yeah, and I actually want to go back and actually say that I think the core of this is actually a really good thing. I think we should be questioning the news. I think when we read the news, there should always be like a critical eye. And I think that's also kind of the core of what we do here is to turn a critical eye to the media. I think the problem is that when you do that and when people like Jackie do that and they start looking for alternatives, they end up at the rebel. And of course, I think to someone that isn't familiar with how the media works or the media landscape, they might not realize that the rebel is a propaganda arm. People can get turned off of mainstream news by one bad story, and now they're a cynic and a skeptic of all mainstream news. They turn to something else, and they don't apply any of that skepticism necessarily. It's like, this is the antidote to that stuff, so this stuff must be the true stuff. I don't know. Maybe I'm not giving her enough credit, but people always seem surprised when I point out, like, you know, we've been covering really, really, really dangerous, shitty stories from places like The Rebel and including The Rebel for years, and it's it's always surprising to me how unfamiliar readers of those sites are with those stories. I think it's actually interesting, and I I get your point. I think part of it might be just, like, when you encounter someone that, you know, feels that they understand you, feels that they're thinking the way you're thinking. It's just, like, this thing where you're like, yeah, I'm going to read more of this. And it's a bit of a confirmation bias. And then you turn on the news, and your prime minister is talking about swastikas and fringe minority. Mr. Speaker... Conservative party members can stand with people who wave swastikas. They can stand with people who wave uh, the Confederate flag. We will choose to stand... And the media is saying those similar things, and I think that that is a point of deep division. Like, that is like, okay, I'm hated, and they're lying about me. Absolutely. That's just been the constant media narrative. The media narrative has also been scrutiny of the organizers, and I think some really necessary autopsies of these people's politics and backgrounds towards trying to figure out what they're actually about and what they might actually be planning. We spend a lot of time talking about that stuff. I wonder if that's something that Jackie is aware of or cares about. I did ask her about that because I did want to kind of get into this idea that maybe her reality was different than mine. I was in Ottawa on this past Sunday and I did not see any of that. And that it is basically in line with what the mainstream media has been telling everyone all along, which is maybe someone showed up with a Nazi flag, but that wasn't a representation of the group there. You know, there was barely any even garbage on the floor. Everything was kept very clean. I saw many, many, many Canadian flags bunch of Quebec flags as well. So it's unfortunate that the media is spinning this in that light because I never saw any of that. As a journalist and as a person of color, I'm very, very concerned about all these things, especially the white nationalists and the racist connections to this movement. So this is what Public Safety Minister Marco Mendicino said last week about the Convoy supporters. I mean, I think the pattern that we're seeing here is in the rhetoric that is being used not only in Coots, not only in Ottawa, but right across the country. And so that unified and focused message is one of concern and I think does shed light on the ideological motivations of those who are prepared to move beyond just demonstrations and crossing into a different conduct, which would be illegal. I mean, it isn't fair to necessarily categorize all of the supporters as dangerous people, But we can't forget that that exists in this movement and the people that give support, especially monetary support to the movement, are supporting the dangerous folks. I asked Jackie what she thought about that, and I named some of those leaders with right-wing connections, and she said that she didn't know who they were. I don't see how, I mean, like, do these people shop at Costco? Like, should we shut down Costco? Do they buy things on Amazon? So where do we draw the line between, well, if that person does this, then we shouldn't allow it? I think it's more the idea that a lot of the followers of this guy who have those ideas and who are more on the like racist or alt-right are now 
you know, taking advantage of the movement for the convoy. And I guess I'm just asking if you have concerns about that. No, I mean, if someone happens to be racist, which to be honest, I don't even know who these people are, then that still doesn't mean they want to be forced to get a vaccine. <laughs> like it's totally different things we're talking about. I remember when people were like going to the women's march and putting on those, those the pink hats. I'll, I'll just call them the pink hats. I didn't know who was organizing that. I don't think that the people I knew who went to that were like aware of the organizers and the organizers' politics. I'm sure that they were fine, you know, but but I don't know that anybody bothered to check. It might be as weird to start talking about the organizers' politics to someone who went to like a bouncy castle fun party in Ottawa. Yeah, exactly. And I think for people like Jackie who were there, you know, because of the mandate issue and, and that's their focus, that everything else doesn't really matter because they're there for the wrong reasons. I struggle with this. I think a part of it is because politically there isn't really a, a good place for people that are kind of where Jackie is, where she's, you know, she's looking for someone that may be questioning the mandates, maybe wants an alternative to the mandates. She ends up here alongside racists, alongside neo-Nazis. I do think there needs to be some accountability because there is evidence now that these, you know, Islamophobes, um, neo-Nazis, and white nationalists are coming together and taking advantage of this movement for their own gains. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. Uh, it's amazing the things that we tell ourselves to talk ourselves out of getting help. Anybody who's actually gotten help knows that the process of getting things off your chest, of taking your stressors, your problems, and just like not letting them be bottled up, working through just conveying them to somebody, half of the battle is just doing that. You unburden yourself. And you know what? If you have a real mental health professional, no, they don't have magic bullets or magic words that make it all go away. But often they can help you see things a little bit differently and guide you to strategies or tools or to a new perspective that actually does help. As the largest online therapy provider in the world, BetterHelp can provide access to mental health professionals with a wide variety of expertise in mental health. Because you listen to this podcast, you get 10% off of your first month at betterhelp.com slash CanadaLand. That's betterhelp.com slash CanadaLand. This episode is brought to you by Douglas, a mattress trusted by more than 200,000 Canadians from coast to coast to coast. Trust is important. There are a lot of mattress lies out there, a lot of mattress liars. And I, I, I didn't intend the pun, but it occurred to me that there is one as I was saying those words. Listen, I am not lying to you. Uh, I have uh, experienced the Douglas mattress. It is an exceptional mattress at a surprisingly affordable price point. It is a mattress that sleeps cool. doesn't have that weird thing in the summer where the mattress gets like an oven. It's a very good product. It's delivered to your house in a box. You don't have to go to a big mattress store. It is a medium firm mattress, which is what Canadians prefer, and it comes with a 365-night trial and a 20-year warranty. What more can I tell you? Douglas is giving our listeners a free sleep bundle with each mattress purchase. Get the sheets, pillows, mattress, and pillow protectors free with your Douglas purchase today. Visit douglas.ca slash CanadaLand to claim this offer. Sarah, who did you talk to? So I spoke to a VP of a Dutch multinational Rene de Vries here. I'm a 57-year-old geoscientist. That's my profession, environmental geoscience. And before we chatted, I creeped through his social media feeds because I'm just curious about this person I'm about to speak to. And, like, you go on his Facebook page and it's, like, 2014, 2015, 2016. He is a huge liberal supporter. I used to be actually a liberal party member. I was supportive of Jane Philpott in my writing of Mark and Stovall. But in 2015, I met Justin Trudeau actually at a fundraiser where I paid him <laughs> or raised funds for him. When Trudeau pushed uh, Jane Philpott out, I became really disgruntled with what Trudeau was doing. I think uh, you as a woman, too, should be disgruntled with that kind of behavior. On the one hand, promising feminism. And then when you have strong women in power that disagree with your opinion, then suddenly you start to push them out, become an authoritarian and say, no, I don't agree with you. And now I'm going to cancel you. This is exactly what he's doing now with the other side of the vaccine argument. It's not right. So and I've been quite engaged 
last April, I started to think, okay, we have to do something here. And then I ran as a PPC candidate in September. Also an expression of that same feeling. What? Can we talk about that for a second? Yeah, he talked at length about how he was so disenfranchised with the Liberal Party in 2019 that he just didn't really want anything to do with the party. That is extraordinary. It's not extraordinary to me that he would be disillusioned from that. It's the leap to the PPC. <laughs> it's, it, it, it's, it's the heel turn to the PPC. I don't know that that was immediate. I don't think it was like, oh, Jane Philpott's not my MP anymore. I'm going to become the MP for the PPC. It was the, like the pandemic happened in the interim as well, right? Like while he's feeling disenfranchised with the liberals, the pandemic hits and he's very wary of vaccines. I have two daughters. One goes to university, one uh, runs her own business. And they also felt compelled. They had to do it. They said, but dad, there's no other way because they, this is just what you have to do. I begged them not to take it because I consider it as a, as a poison. Okay. Or at best, an experimental drug. Sarah, there's this parallel with Jackie that feels like it's such an important moment to like focus on the moment where trust is broken, right? Yeah. It can be like a news story where you're like, holy shit, they were lying to me. That's He didn't die of COVID. Mm -hmm. He had cancer. Or it could be like, yeah, I actually put a lot of time and money and I volunteered for the liberals. And there was this prime minister who was this feminist and he betrayed me. Yeah. You know, betrayal, I think, is is a really powerful thing. In both of these cases, it set people on completely opposite paths. You know, it wasn't just that this person no longer supported the liberals. It's that they found themselves on a path that ultimately led to them running for the PPC. I think that's fascinating. And he said that it was just because he didn't see opposition to mandates in any of the other parties. Last year, when I saw where this whole thing was going. Things are on the wrong track here. I felt I needed to engage politically. Sorry, when you say how things are going, what do you mean by that? I came to the conclusion that if you really do the study, this is a pandemic. It's something that was planned. The virus that was created in a lab in China was used to sell vaccines. And the people that have done that, they've been quite successful. And so you actually believe that it's a conspiracy between governments to... Well, conspiracy, conspiracy, big word. It's just a few individuals, that, uh, including Bill Gates, that can get uh, very rich off this whole situation. They've planned it. Okay, do your homework. This has been in the works for decades. Okay? So, some individuals. And it's not like everybody conspires with everybody. It's one big conspiracy. Everybody is uh, sitting in a, in a room planning this. No. And he talks about the fact that when the pandemic started, he started going to anti-vax rallies. And that's actually when he started meeting other people who were like-minded. And that's how he started building this network, which is where he eventually found out about the Freedom Convoy. I found your name on the list of donors. And oh, that's how you found me. Oh, right, yeah. Yeah, and so I found your name, and you didn't donate $20, you donated 2000 uh, What made you want to do that? Well, what it comes from um, over a year of almost looking for how can I support the Freedom caucus, so to speak, or however you want to call this in, in Canada. How can I support the people that are pushing back against the all-dominating narrative, which seems to have permeated everything? And they were successful in locking us down for two years. In my opinion, gross overreach by the government. It seems to me that, like Sharice, you just hit a point where, like, it's that fork in the road of the conversation. Like, you're at the family event and you're making chit-chat and then you're getting an earful about mm -hmm. plandemic, scandemic, Bill Gates. And... Choose your own adventure, like back away slowly or try to just like, okay, we're not going to come to terms on this, so let's find something else we can talk about. I picked a different adventure. What adventure <laughs> did you pick? I picked the let's really pick apart a couple of your ideas here adventure. That's a massive story. The fact that that story is not being told or not even being investigated. But doesn't that signal to you that maybe there's a reason that it isn't being told? Maybe it's not true? Well, you tell me. Sure. But then please discredit the CDC and the FDA data. Go in there and say, this is why it's not true. Okay, here we go. I found the Reuters article. So this is like an international wire service. And they just offered a fact check on these. Reuters is bought, okay, by certain interests. And that includes Pfizer. Pfizer makes so much money, they can buy everything. Reuters, in fact, there's a, there's a board member that went from the Pfizer board to the Reuters board. It's well known. I do not trust those sources. I'm sorry. How did it end? It ended with him saying, like, let's agree to disagree. And I said, 
I think we disagree on what facts are. And I think you and I, like, we fundamentally don't agree on what truth is. And it's too bad because I know that in having a conversation with him, if he's listening to this, which I assume he is, I just end up being dismissed as, you know, someone else who's drank the Kool-Aid, someone else who's been bought off. It's not that he and I can even have a conversation where we both exist in the same universe. You talked about finding common ground. And I was alarmed based on how much Renee and I disagree on stuff. I was alarmed at how much we actually agreed on as far as like our concerns. I am personally as a journalist that's covered populist movements, like even as far away as Eastern Europe, I'm very afraid of populist movements and the power they can have and the repercussions that can come as a result. He's very worried about the media's inability to think about the pandemic and what he calls the facts. And we are both very concerned about the outcome. And we both also agreed that this is an information war. I see it as a bit of a battle. It's almost like we're in a, you know, um, it's an information war for sure uh, that's going on. Jesse, I know you also had a conversation. What did you talk about and who did you talk to? I had a conversation with a guy named Sean Soderman. And I have known about him for years. We have an interesting history because I've been following you for some time. A long time, actually. I remember you when you were doing, uh, you were covering copyright very closely and technology. And um, I was also an early Patreon patron for Canada Land. I kind of paid attention to the first bunch of names that came in. And Sean Soderman was one of them. And I think he wrote me an email or two. And ever since this trucker convoy thing happened, he's been in my mind because I had some glimmer of a memory that, oh, yeah, I've got this listener who's a trucker. But we've never actually spoken until I reached out to him about this. And I started by just trying to get a sense of who he is and what he does. And, you know, he was quick to tell me some information, which is like he drives a truck, but he doesn't consider himself a trucker necessarily. I still am of a certain sort. I work in forestry and I transport bulk chips and logs in between mills in the forest north of Sudbury, which I like to be specific on because I like to distinguish myself from uh, freight. I don't really do freight and uh, we're kind of a different... uh, breed of trucker, so to speak. And then the other thing was like, I was digging around to figure out some stuff about his identity. He was not really like trying to like push this forward with any kind of a narrative of like, oh, you think you know who the protest supporters are. But I definitely wouldn't want to lead with my ethnic identity. I'm Finnish slash English slash indigenous. Indigenous insofar as I have status and I hold membership with a band and I actually live on a reserve not my reserve, but it's next door to my reserve. He was tentative, and he was very concerned about how he would be represented. And I think like all the people we spoke to, there's just like, they assume they're going to be misrepresented. They assume that we're going to shit on them. And, mm-hmm. you know, there was trust there because we have had a, a host-listener relationship for some years, but, you know, he, he was still careful. What was his motivating factor for supporting the Freedom Convoy? I do support the Freedom Convoy insofar as they represent a pushback against what I see as excessive government overreach that will result in little to no health benefits to society at large. That is to say, the trucker vaccine mandates over two years into the pandemic at a time when people are ready to move on from the regulations and the mandates. And it seems it's quite evident that it's fracturing society and pulling people apart. And I don't think that it's worth it. So I do support their arguments, but not fully. Like I'm open to debate and arguments. I wouldn't fully put myself behind it if there was some aspect of their reasoning that I didn't agree with, but yeah. Are you against all vaccine mandates or is it that specific one? I think I am against vaccine mandates, but not vaccines of themselves. I myself am vaccinated and I would encourage other people to get vaccinated. 
However, there is a principle behind a mandate. A mandate necessitates a level of government power that for me is too much and that can translate into other things that we would be arguably less comfortable with that and that are not so benign as vaccines and vaccines generally speaking are benign and it's the it's the principle that bothers me he doesn't like the government overreach and i've heard this from a lot of other people as well like they say things that i happen to agree with that like Governments don't tend to give back power when they seize more power. I do not take for granted that the government has my best interests at heart. Uh, I think those are all pretty reasonable things for citizens to have in mind. So what was overreach then for him? At what point did he say this was too much? You know, I tried to press him for that. Like, I, I wanted to know, like, is this an ideological concern for you or a practical concern? That's something like, could you explore that a bit more for me? Like, what is it exactly that you're afraid of in terms of the government getting too much power out of this? I can see it where if the protests are clamped down upon, other protests in the future won't be allowed. You're afraid a precedent will be set in terms of our ability to dissent. That's right. Did he talk about what sort of the media has found about those white nationalist connections to the movement? Yeah. We talked about that at some length. And this is similar to, I think, all three conversations it was something that concerned me a whole lot more than it seemed to concern him. No, I, I don't support wildly radical and violent shifts in the way our society functions. The reason it seems to me that that happens is they have, I, I would blame the convoy, uh, leaders. They're ineloquent. I would have advised that they hired a lawyer or a number of lawyers to sit down and speak and then establish what it is precisely they want. And now they've been caught unready. And it's very easy to approach a convoy protester. And then all he knows is, I don't want vaccine mandates. And I'm sure this is the case with anyone who's just unprepared. They seem very unreasonable and ineloquent. But that's not to say that they're the essential thrust of what they want is incorrect. I take your point that we're dealing with people who, you know, maybe this is their first interaction with Canadian politics, their first time protesting things. They're not part of the political establishment or the media class, but they're citizens nonetheless, and they, they have the same right to speak up as anybody else. And, like, there's a baseline where you feel like you're driving towards the same things as them. But they are explicitly saying things that are pretty concerning. And we're not just, like, picking out, like, a few people from the crowd. Like, the organizers themselves have talked about like the Liberal Party being infested with Muslims, that Pat King guy, he's into white replacement theory, and he's talked about this all ending in bullets. The racist elements are there. They exist. And do you worry about, uh, I mean, I guess the first, you know, I hope to not insult you, but I got to ask you, do you support any of that stuff? And if not, how do you feel about kind of like marching in the same parade as people who do? Uh, no, I don't support any of that stuff, but there is a degree of, you will, you, you need, I think what they need and they lack. And as you said, the, the leaders themselves have these non sequitur, unrelated opinions, and they have failed on their part to be aggressive and disciplined with themselves. So no, I, I wouldn't support anything other than an end to vaccine mandates. And I, I wouldn't rally with them at all, really, if only because I'm just not, uh, my, myself personally, I don't uh, tend to rally fully behind supporting any group. For those reasons, I don't classify myself according to any political party per se. I like to see myself as able to change my opinion and perhaps I'll sway one way politically today and another way tomorrow if the evidence changed. I think it's reasonable to kind of take one of two different positions on that. You know, I think, and I guess my inclination has been, I'm not letting you off the hook for that. Uh, you are responsible for whose drumbeat you are marching to. But I think the other way to look at that is that very few people form their affiliations or connections based on a 100% compatibility. Like we do not have the, that level of choice 
in the democratic process. We pick parties that we disagree with on 99 things because we agree with them on the one thing. That is a, I guess, liberalism. That is a latitude. That's a flexibility that we afford ourselves in making determinations all the time. But maybe we're a bit stingy with that when it comes to supporters of this convoy. And there is a reason why I'm stingy with that. Speaking personally, it's not that I'm trying to force people into a Nazi box or say, you've got to decide that either you're a Nazi or you disavow this thing entirely, which leaves you essentially with no options. It's just like what you were saying about Jackie. Like there, there isn't an option B that keeps only the parts that they like and not the other stuff. Exactly. And this actually came up when I did the episode on the PPC and investigating the racist ties. A lot of people that are supporters came to them because they, you know, they wanted a different kind of conservatism. They didn't really like where the conservative party was going. And then they fell in with the PPC. I mean, welcome to participatory democracy. You, you pick the party that is closest to where you stand or that like, you know, often it's because of one wedge issue that you really care about and you just kind of like hold your nose to the rest of it. And how many people out there not only hold their nose to some of their party's policies, but like don't even like the leaders, you know? So we're like really focused on the leaders here. I voted for people that I do not care for. When journalists try to interpret all of this, they interpret it from a standpoint of understanding and consuming as much news as we do, which is not normal. Like, the average person doesn't go home and, you know, sit on Twitter for 10 hours oh, really? and consume. <laughs> I know, it's really strange. Uh, but they don't consume as much news as we do. They might, like, it. it is not crazy to think that maybe some of these people don't actually understand the white nationalist ties to the organizers. I, I don't think that's a crazy thing to say. I also don't think it's crazy to say, that some of the coverage has been really biased. Like I look at the CBC article that that broke down the funding when it was leaked. Was it said like more than half came from America? It's like okay, well, it's true in terms of the number of donors, but way more than half of it came from Canadians. And so like it did seem like a deliberate attempt to downplay the support that is coming from Canada. These are all things that I understand and they see. And again, it's that broken trust that we started with. Like, you can't tell a story of every single person in a movement. So we have to make it coherent and break it down and generalize. But so easily you disenfranchise people when you do that. I think that this is where, you know, my conversation with Sean kind of concluded because there are sort of different categories of disagreement or different belief. There are the kind that we can just tolerate and live next to each other, even though we feel very differently. And then there's a point where we can't, and I don't think we're there yet, but I'm worried about that. Yeah. I'm worried about that in a way that, that is hard to convey to somebody who isn't. Sean knows that he's not a white nationalist. You know, I might be afraid of like, well, you're in it for the freedom, but history has shown that in a year you might be marching for something else very differently. He's like, yeah, I know that I won't be. Mm-hmm. So I might seem paranoid to him, but this is different to me, Sarah, than Renee thinking that it's a pandemic. I don't need Renee to accept that it's not a pandemic. I mean... It would be nice if he did, but he doesn't have to. It would be nice if you could live in the same universe of demonstrable fact as he Mm -hmm. and have a rational conversation. But if you can't, you can't. But interestingly, when it came to the white nationalism, we were on the same page. He all of a sudden was bringing up the fact that, like, you know, he had a grandfather that died in World War II fighting Nazis. Like, he feels very strongly about that. And he, too, knows he's not a white nationalist. So it's like there are some coherent things between the people we talked to. You know, thinking about all the people who wouldn't talk to us for fear of, like, I guess being canceled— and the hesitancy with which the people who did speak with us spoke to us, it's, it's like everybody who supports this seems to be really aware that they're risking something in supporting this. Yeah, I was a little disheartened to hear you say that uh, there's many people who would see me and perhaps yourself for 
politely engaging with me as something of a pariah because I vaguely, I, I don't passionately support the convoy, but it seems to me they have valid concerns and arguments and invalid ones, to be sure. But uh, I find it sad that some people just want to make pariahs out of the convoy uh, when it, it seems to me a good portion of the population, not necessarily a majority, but a lot of people support the essential main thrust of the convoy, which people want an end to COVID, very generally speaking. I have no trouble accepting what you're telling me. And I don't think that you're you know, uh, subhuman for the things that you tell me. Like, I believe you when you say that it's the government overreach and it's the mandates and you want this to be done and you want small government. And I think those are reasonable positions. And I don't think you're secretly harboring terrible designs to violently overthrow the government or racist plots. And when I look at the numbers and we start to see the, the widespread support this has, I hope that that's true of almost everybody involved. So my worry is a specific one, which is that I've been covering these radical movements to some extent for years now, and I know that they have these like like explicit plans, which talk about exactly this kind of scenario. They have these explicit plans that say, don't show up with a swastika on your forehead. Don't scare everybody away. Find a cause that a lot of people will agree with and get a big, 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 big base of supporters who care a lot about something else that's got nothing to do with racism mm -hmm. and with the white state that we want to create. And then once you've got lots of people, then the politicians will fall in line. Switch it on them. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And on the one hand, these people are like dumb and lunatics, and I don't know how much stock we should put in their little guidebooks or strategy plans. But on the other hand, history has told us that that can exactly happen. So I think you're totally genuine with me, but I still worry that some really scary people are getting a lot of power and money and political clout out of this. And that's what I'm worried about. Mm -hmm. Okay. Sarah, Sharice, we set out to like listen to people and try to make sense and try to see if a conversation is even possible. How do you feel about your conversations? How do you feel about where we're at? Did we do it? You know, I think what really struck me is that in trying to get to an understanding, it's really clear to me how easy it is for anyone to end up supporting the convoy. You know, the course of this pandemic, we've seen government and media and public health ask for the public to trust them. And for a lot of people, that's been really difficult. And they have questions and they have criticism. You know, I think we've now got this part of the population that's feeling like they can't ask questions without being piled on. And so they end up finding solidarity in these groups, which then have associations to white nationalism and extremism. It's kind of a slippery slope. But, you know, I do think that there is different things that we can do to help the situation. I would love to see more public education around media literacy, around public health orders, around government accountability. You know, part of it is the people in power, you know, taking a step back to say this is where we're at and this is how we've failed and this is where we're coming from now. What I took away from this conversation and from more broadly, just the time that we're living in right now is that we've never been more divided in my lifetime anyway. And the easiest thing to do when you disagree with someone is to vilify them. But I'm really struggling to understand what that actually does that's productive. What it seems to me it does is that it alienates someone, it pushes them into a world of disinformation, and it ends up being an endless cycle that divides us further. And I think we need to have these kinds of conversations and we need to enter into them with compassion and constantly be humanizing people. Because as soon as you forget that it's people on the other end, it's so much easier to divide our society, just even in your own mind, right? Like I looked up the postal codes in the database of donors and I found all kinds of people I know from back home. I'm from a rural area, I, there's friends on there. There's people I used to babysit for. And so I'm not just willing to write all of those people off. And I think that as a society, we need to find a way to bridge divides, bridge misinformation, and come up with something more productive than what we currently have. And I'll second what Cherise said 
about media literacy. I think that's very important. What about you, Jesse? I can't help but think about all of this in the wider context of this project that I've been professionally dedicated to for the last eight plus years, which we've attempted at various times to sit down and say, like, what is what are we doing here together as colleagues with Canada Land? What's the point of Canada Land? And a lot of the values and, and the kind of like, you know, high minded mission statements are about like we live in a country where people are not as engaged as they should be with politics, with public life, with being a citizen, with the news. Whereas these things are like, you know, politics is a is the national sport in America and, and everybody's either a Democrat or Republican. Like here, it's just like fuzzy and people are kind of disenfranchised and don't pay enough attention to power. How do I look at this where all of a sudden our relationship to government is a big part of our lives in a country where it's usually not a part of our lives at all? And all of a sudden, everybody's got to pick a side. They got to pick a team. You didn't inherit your Democrat or Republican status from your parents or your grandparents like a lot of Americans do. Like, like I feel like these protesters, like thousands of them, their affiliations were up for grabs. If the NDP had rolled a convoy through their town, they would have joined that, you know? Just trying to get people to give a shit about Canadian media was a tiny, tiny fringe niche audience for years and years. There are so many areas of overlap where this is the kind of citizenship that we want to see, but the form that it's taken is one that everything about my professional and social network has just made untouchable, toxic, and verboten. Mm-hmm. And my conversation with Sean did feel like a reality check of like, I'm not ready to cast this person off into... Into a basket of deplorables? I'm not ready to toss this person into a, uh, a basket of deplorables. I don't feel like I'm there yet. That is your Canada land. If you like this show, don't think twice about it. It's a no-brainer. Five bucks a month. Support us. Click the link in the show notes or go to canadaland.com slash join. We bring you stuff that other people don't. You can email me at jesse at canadaland.com. I read everything you send. We're on Twitter at CanadaLand. Our website is canadaland.com. There's a new episode of The Backbench going up this week. I wonder what they'll talk about. This episode was produced with the help of Cherie Suturin and Cassidy villabern Baracus. Tristan Capicione is our audio editor and our technical producer. Our senior producer is Sarah Lornyuk. Kieran Oudshorn is our managing editor. Our theme music is by So Called. Syndication handled by CFUV 101.9 FM in Victoria. Visit them online at cfuv.ca. If you like this show, please support us. Go to canadaland.com slash join or click on the link in the show notes. We need your support. 